Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. Uh, it's great to be with you on uh, Inauguration Day as we are recording this. Um, it's been a fun day to kind of wake up and, and turn on the news and watch all of the pageantry and all of the uh, uh, fun stuff that comes with it. Uh, here with me, as always, is my good friend uh, and colleague, Will Stockdale, Ministry Associate with Ministry of State. Um, a couple things I wanted to highlight before we kind of get into this uh, uh, conversation. We, we've got a lot planned that we want to talk about. We just actually just finished watching um, the inaugural ceremony. Uh, President Joe Biden gave his inaugural address, which we're going to talk about later, um, and some of the other things that uh, happened. Um, but before all that, um, I wanted to just highlight a couple things. Ministry of State has put out a, a, a number of, I think, really great pieces of, of content in the last uh, 48 hours or so to, to complement inaugural or inauguration day. Um, the first thing you should check out is a, a prayer guide uh, that our colleague Michael Langer actually put together, um, a prayer guide uh, in light of what had happened on January 6th and sort of leading into inauguration day uh, based on the Lord's Prayer. You can download that on our website, uh, ministryofstate.org. Also today uh, that, that, was, that came out was um, our founder and executive director, Chuck Garriott, put together a petition uh, for uh, Joe Biden in particular. Um, he is the author of, of two books, Obama Prayer and uh, Prayers for Trump. So he's really dedicated his ministry to praying for those in, uh, in political authority. And he has written a great petition that we, we can all uh, join him in praying. Uh, and that's also on our website, or you can check it out on By Faith. Um, the other thing I wanted to, to, to bring up in which we can start getting this conversation, Will, Will you wrote a great devotional uh, that came out on uh, on Tuesday uh, about First Timothy two one through six about praying for our government authorities. Something that we're doing today. We're praying for for Joe Biden. Um, and one of the things that I, I was really struck by in that devotional was what you what you kind of hinted at, which was almost the emotional effect of praying for our government authorities. What it actually communicates to the world when Christians pray for government authorities. So let me kind of just start off with that. So kind of walk me through what you were thinking when you wrote that devotional. Yeah. Um, to comment on what you said about Chuck, one of the privileges of serving with someone like him is that he really models that Chuck is a faithful man of prayer and he has prayed faithfully for all the presidents that he has been up here um, not serving under, but uh, serving as they have been in their administration. And you know, I, when I wrote this devotional and it was over First uh, Timothy 2, 1 through 6, and it is the advice that Paul gives to Timothy and what his, he and his church ought to be doing, and a sense of praying for, um, for all people and then praying specifically for those in governing authority. And I, I think one of the reasons that I view it as missional is that we pray to God and we go to God when we acknowledge our helplessness. If we thought that we could do everything on our own, um, then we wouldn't need to go to God in prayer. And the other side of that is that Paul doesn't say, you know, pray for this type of politician or that politician. He says, pray for whoever God has put in, in power. And we know that all governing authority has been derived from God, has been given from God, and that is how it remains in place. And so to pray for kings, the purpose of it is to allow for God's people to live in peace and harmony and to do the work of the gospel wherever they are. And so I think the missiological element to praying for governing authorities is acknowledging in our prayers that 
we serve God ultimately and that we desire for our leaders to serve God and his desires so that we can do what we're called to do. And that the, I mean, the rampant tribalism that is going on in our country, I think that praying for all leaders and for not just for their policies or their administration or their actions, but actually praying that they would bless the church, that we can bless the world. That's a pretty different approach to, I think, how we typically think about what, um, what the government ought to be doing, but that the government would lead in such a way, that rules of the government would lead in such a way that the church is able to carry out its mission that it has been called to. Yeah, that's a really important point because I think for a lot of people, um, kind of regardless of where you find yourself on the political spectrum, a lot of that missional work has sort of, I think for a lot of people has been taken out of the church and given back to the government. People want the government to be doing a lot of the missional activity that the church is really called to. And I I think that um, not that we can't be uh, advocates for certain policies or, or, or or positions. I'm not, I'm not saying therefore all Christians must be some, some kind of libertarian. Um, But what I am saying is that um, there is a sort of inherent assumption in Paul's letter that, uh, dare I say, there are certain distinct spheres and those spheres have certain obligations. Um, uh, Not to get too Kuyperian with it, but uh, I do think that that's sort of built into the equation and something that uh, Christians would be uh, mindful uh, of remembering, especially considering, you know, there's a lot of people today who are going to see the inauguration as, uh, oh no, our guy Trump is out. Biden's president, everything's going to go to, you know, hell in a handbasket, we're doomed, and, you know, we're not going to be able to do the things that we need to do, blah, blah. And I think on the, you know, on the flip side, there's a lot of people saying, oh, good, Trump's out. Now we can finally get back to the work that we need to do. And I think when I read your devotional, what, what really came across was, um, no, the, the church is really where uh, this missional activity is done, where we should really be focusing our attention. Um, and we pray for good government. Uh, for peace and stability and security so that that work can happen. Um, and I thought that was really good. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thanks for saying that. It was, it was good to write. And it was a good reminder for me to hold on to these truths. And, you know, it's an interesting thing for Christians to be concerned about government. Because on the one hand, we get our ultimate charge and call from God's word. It reveals to us what he has called for us, that we belong to a local church, that we receive God's word every Sunday, a reminder that we are his people. And that is our primary identity that happens on Sundays in church. The other side is that we know that governing authorities can lead uh, uh wickedly or wisely, that they can do injustice or justice. We also recognize that people follow the leader. I mean, the the way that people speak, how they act, is going to somewhat be felt based on who is in power. And and, and that can be overblown and we can get to a bad place where we are so dictated by who's in governing power that it seems like we're probably a little too close to um, putting our hope and identity in, in a political system or a government system. So Christians kind of tread this this line where we, we care very much about it, but it's like the other side is, Hey, we're, we're going to keep doing what we're doing regardless of who was elected and regardless of what the administration is doing. Um, it might be harder. And again, that's why we pray is that we can, you know, run faster with the gospel. Um, but our, our calling never ever changes in the church. What we are supposed to do is, is set in stone. 
Yeah, that's that's really great because that is a that is a secure foundation. Um, if if our calling was really changing by, uh, uh, or our 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 calling was changing according to what the current political climate was, I mean, these last twenty years would be completely exhausting, right? Like, I mean, we live in a time where the whirlwind of politics is that we're we're being battered from one side to the other constantly. And if if our if it was the if if Christians were constantly called to navigate, well, what is our calling here? What's our calling there? I feel like we we would be exhausted. Um, and kind of knowing that you know our calling is the same no matter what that it, it continues on, um, I think is great. One thing that I've really been meditating on is, um, and I think what you're kind of getting at is being able to hold politics something that I do, you know, I I take seriously something I I'm really passionate about something I've uh, given a, a good portion of my adult um, career to. Um, really trying to sit there and hold it with really hands open um, to God and, and really submitting myself to his will. Uh, I think one thing that Christians and myself in particular are very tempted to do when it comes to political leaders is we all acknowledge political leaders are either risen up or taken down according to God's will, but we then try to discern, well, what is the motive behind these things? And so you'll hear a lot of like, uh, Trump was was raised to authority because God is trying to punish America. Or you'll hear things like uh, Joe Biden was was given to uh, the president was ascended to the presidency uh, because God wants us to do this and this and this. And and I think we need to be really careful about assigning motives to God in those things. God's will uh, is a mystery and it's above us and we can't understand it. And like Job, you know, we need to instead of really sitting there and trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Uh, really trying to find that place of, of submission, not in a not in a agnostic sort of way, but in a humble, uh, creaturely sort of way, um, and being able to recognize that there is a permanency beyond American democratic politics um, that supersedes all of this, um, and our calling as Christians is really to find to really discover that and, and pursue that, and that's something I'm really trying to to work on when it comes to my quiet time and and, and meditating on what I'm seeing. Uh, as as we celebrate this day of a of a peaceful transition of power, um, so Will, this is your first. I realize this is your first inauguration day in D.C. Um, definitely different than most people's. It's the city's basically on lockdown. I mean, how have you experienced the day so far as a resident of the city? You mentioned uh, waking up early to the pageantry of today, and. I realized this is this felt more like a Thanksgiving morning than typical Thanksgiving morning because you know the thanks, Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade just wasn't that great. Anyways, for some reason it reminded me of of waking up to a parade day because it it is it is a big deal. Last night uh, I left my house and I went on a really long walk around D.C. and I went all the way from where I live in Eastern Market down past Chinatown, and I was trying actually to walk around the barricades. Mm. that are are surrounding the mall so you know surrounding the capital and they're going blocks in each way boxing it all in and by the end of the day i'd walked 11.2 miles uh and i didn't even get a third of the way done if not halfway if, if not a quarter way so i had to turn back but basically i say that to just there would have been no line of sight to have seen it so i've been watching today from my apartment um it was neat walking around yesterday and even this morning, seeing the National Guards who are here and talking to them and seeing where they're from. Uh, met some from Illinois and and Florida and Tennessee and different places. And so I'm, um, and it is just a different world up here. I mean, there are there are just hundreds of them and Humvees and 
um, police and, but I will say even this, something else that I noticed, even in the midst of that, I still felt immense amount of freedom to walk around because I like, I was never suspect of anything there. They weren't stopping me and doing anything like that. There was still a, an ability to be mobile and they were just there to, to protect this barrier. So even with the restrictions, it still is a reminder of the liberties that we have in this country. But I woke up, um, watched the inauguration on a couple different stations. Um, uh, I, I mean, I know we're going to talk about it soon. It, it was, it was, it was fun. It was, it was, um, neat to watch the transition, uh, take place. Um, and I mean, I was in the city, but I could have been anywhere basically. Cause even if I were outside, it would have been meaningless because there was no way I could have seen anything from any vantage point. I yeah. don't think in the city. Um, I, I just want to, I'm just curious to ask, uh, where, or I guess I'd say, what station did you find yourself watching when you were watching inauguration stuff? I went, well, I tried to be a bipolar. I went, I did Fox and CNN. Okay. So one thing that I thought was interesting was that a bunch of people that were on Twitter were saying that this was the first time that they were watching something political like this um, uh, on one of the major stations, the either NBC, CBS, or ABC, um, and actually not watching it through their preferred cable station. Um, and huh. I think that that's significant because uh, I do wonder without – uh, President Trump, without the, the sort of the the way that he seems to drive the cable news networks, um, either in uh, anger or or, or um, passions or whatever. Um, without him, what what will happen to these stations? And I, my sense was that a lot of people were going to them and kind of finding the product not very great and so instead we're turning to sort of the bigger stations that seem to do a lot more um uh strike a balance maybe is the right way to say it like i was watching uh cbs this morning and uh john dickerson was on there and i john dickerson is is this really interesting journalist because he's got such clearly just such a passion of sort of like uh, american history and just sort of american political history and you know it to talk, for him to sort of rattle off all these kind of interesting fun facts about, you know, why we do this thing. You know, someone was asking, you know, they were kind of the news people were kind of asking, well, why do we have the inauguration at noon? What, what does happen with the presidents and sort of who's in control of the nation during this day? And, and John Dickerson to kind of be like, well, in 1981, you know, Reagan did this. And so we've kind of done that since then. And, you know, to explain, you know, you know, we used to have the, inaugur in the inauguration on the other side of the Capitol. Now we have it on this side. Why is that? Why do we do that? Um, I thought it was it was kind of cool to sit and listen to the traditions and the 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 reasons why we do all these things. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting. Did, how long do we have the inauguration on the east side of the Capitol? So it's actually, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it is a it's a product of Ronald Reagan because when when Ronald Reagan in his first inaugural address, um, he wanted to comment on the uh, sort of the, um, the great pillars of the American mall. And so he wanted, in, in his speech, he referenced Washington, was able to point to um, the Washington Monument. He wanted to reference Lincoln, so being able to point down to Lincoln. But the main reason he did that was because he wanted to talk about the, um, those who had given their lives for uh, these principles. And so he was actually able to reference the, the Arlington Cemetery, which sits on the hill over the, um, uh, the Potomac. And so 
I think, I believe since Ronald Reagan, we have always had the inaugural dress on that side of the Capitol, but for, before that, it was always on the other side. It's so strange for me to think about it being on the other side. It, well, it, it, it seems designed to be had on the west side of the Capitol. Well, it's interesting. If you go to the Capitol Museum, um, that's actually in the Capitol building. They have all these pictures of, of presidents from giving their inaugural addresses. And you can kind of watch people as they're looking at the pictures. They're like confused because they're like, well, what are these buildings? Like, why, why am I looking at the Supreme Court building? And you have to kind of, re- you have to realize, oh, because it was addressed on, on, on the other side of the Capitol, not usually on the side it is. So yeah, it, it, these are just kind of interesting things that you, you learn. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I, I, have been, I was really, um, uh, uh, excited. I, I like inauguration day. Uh, we've been now in the city for, this is our second one. Uh, we actually lived in the city on, uh, during uh, president Trump's inauguration day and, um, just the energy that's in the city. And, you know, I think it does tend to be a day where there's a little bit more, um, sense of, of camaraderie and, and just being united about, you know, and celebrating this thing, you know. Um, and, and that's always, I think, a, a good thing. Um, I, I guess now we should kind of jump into sort of what we watched uh, when it comes to the inaugural ceremony. And so um, uh, there was obviously a lot that happened. Uh, we had a, a, an invocation by one of uh, a Catholic priest that, that Biden is, and the Biden family are close with. Um, obviously, there were a ton of uh, uh, the, the former presidents and their, and their wives and the first ladies were there. Um, as well, President Bush and, and his wife, President Obama, uh, President Clinton. Um, uh, there were some musical performances, and then obviously we got the inaugural address. Um, so kind of just kind of walk me through what, what were some of the things that stuck out to you? Sadly, Jimmy Carter couldn't be there because of his health and concerns about COVID. He wasn't able to be there. Always neat to see uh, former presidents who were there, powerful to see the Supreme Court justices who are there as well. And all three branches of government gathered together in one place. Amy Klobuchar was something of the MC in that she opened and helped with transitions along with Roy Blunt. I, I really thought that her opening remarks were solid. I thought that she had a ton of energy and excitement and passion for what was being said. Um, I didn't catch anything that was necessarily divisive or very controversial in her remarks. Uh, I thought that at least in principle, that they were all things that we could agree on. I think that that generally could be reasonably said that, no, these, these are good things. Now, the, the question, and, and this is where we'll get later, I think, and what's difficult and what causes divide is questioning what did people actually mean? And, you know, you mentioned the camaraderie a second ago that everyone has today. And part of that's because the president hasn't signed any executive orders yet. He has uh, made appointments, of course, and, and there are certain bills that he wants to pass. But by and large, this is a, a clean slate, a fresh start. And I think it's okay for us to, at this moment, to say, okay, these principles, these are good things that we want, things that were glaringly problematic, uh, take issue with, but the things that can be agreed upon, no, uh, on a plain reading, I, I will, I will support that. I think that is good. And then we can work from there as things change. We either say, Hey, this is great. This has continued or Hey, what happened? I thought this is what was going on. And then we can understand. But again, as, as was mentioned by, by 
really blunt, you know, every four years since 1789, there has been a, an, an inauguration that has taken place. And in one sense or another, it is a, it is a continuous new beginning that is happening. It is a cycle that, that keeps moving on. And we have to have some sense of, okay, now, now here's where we're going to start working and what we're yeah. going to continue working towards. Yeah. I, the language you, you talked about some of those principles that are, you know, we're being brought up and, and that we can all be a, a, agree on. I think, you know, there's a really strong emphasis on, you know, why do we do this every four years? So we can, you know, yes. And so we can, you know, uh, have the president sworn, swear an oath. We can sort of have a, a nice, you know, easy mark dates, blah, blah, blah. But like really the, the bigger reason why we do this is because it, you know, why we have all the pageantry, why we do, you know, why we sing the national anthem, why we bring all these uh, former presidents and dignitaries back is uh, to really recommit ourselves to those, those founding principles and that are in the de- declaration and in the constitution. And that's a very human thing, right? We, we need to be reminded. We need to gather together and remember things and, and recommit ourselves to things. And um, I, I think that that's a good thing. Go ahead. You know, well, presidents don't write their own vows. Right, you know, yeah. Like in a lot of wedding ceremonies. There is no vow that the oath that the president gets to write. It is the same oath, and it is an oath to uphold the Constitution and defend this country from domestic and foreign threats. Yeah. Uh, that's that's very important um to, yeah. to remember well and you know what it also strongly emphasizes which i think is a, is good because you know we're going to get to the point where we think you know uh, obviously that there are legitimate concerns for this country um and we're going to get to those and we're going to also talk about do, did we think that president biden really address those things uh, uh fully um uh, i think one of the things that we we struggle with as a nation right now is, is sort of a sense of continuity um, of something that we've been passed down and that we are now charged to pass down later to, to our children and then our grandchildren. Um, and we tend to really spend a lot of our political energy focusing on the immediate short term. These, this time right now, um, what do we need to do right now? Um, and uh, uh, a great example of this actually is uh, Senator Ben Sass was, was on um, I think it was CBS uh, talking about actually impeachment. And, you know, one of the person said, well, what, what do you support? And, and Senator Sass said, look, I gotta, I've got to weigh all the different options because I, I have to be thinking about what's the best for this nation, not right now, not in the next four years, but in the next eight to 10, 20 years. And a bunch of people, journalists went on Twitter and basically shamed him for that and saying like, no, you need to be thinking about what the country needs right now. And, and my point is that when we, when we're so short-term focused, we tend to, we tend to lose this idea that, you know, we have been passed down um, what, uh, what some would call maybe a heritage. I think Joe Biden chose the word story. We've, we've been handed down this American story and we're charged to pass it on uh, to the next generation. And, and that sort of focus on very long-term goals and issues and concerns, I think is always a good thing for Americans because um, we do tend to be really bogged down uh, in the immediate. Um, and well, yeah. There's something darkly humorous about this obsession with the immediate, the tyranny of the now, the what needs to be happens, these knee jerk reactions. And then to say the other side, we want to be on the right side of history. Mm. And it's like, hey, wait a second. 
uh, I don't know if y'all know how history works and to think that just to make a quick knee-jerk reaction is going to mean that you will necessarily be looked upon favorably in, in the future. There's no way to know that without prudence and some patient wisdom sifting through things. Right. Very, very well said. Um, which I think is, you know, that's a good uh, time, I think, for us to move to um, President Biden's uh, inaugural speech, um, his inaugural address. Um, it was, I think, I mean, I can't really remember too much of uh, President Trump's speech. I remember I watched it. Um, I think because of the crowd, there was way more breaks for like applause and stuff. And I, I, I actually really appreciated the fact that President Biden was really allowed to speak and you could really get a sense of coherence with, with the themes and, and what the message was. Um, which I thought worked really well. I, I hope it's something that future inaugural uh, committees who have to do the planning will remember. Um, and so uh, I really appreciated that. I guess uh, let's let's kind of dive into that. What what were some of your your general takeaways um, from the speech? What did you th- what did you think his main point that he was trying to get across was? Clearly, and this has been said before he was inaugurated, before he was sworn in that his big thing was going to be unity, that the emphasis that he was going to place on um, his presidency was a search for unity in our country. And it was demonstrated in a number of ways. Uh, he, he, he did this in kind of a multifaceted sense in his, in his speech. But one of the ways that he did this was directly addressing people who said, you know, and he's not the only president to have done this, but whether you voted for me or not, I'm going to fight as hard for you as I will for someone who voted for me. Now, what that means, again, I don't know. I don't know how that works when he was voted according to a certain party. But the the point is, there there did strike, and maybe I'm just a sucker, but it felt it felt genuine. It felt sincere. There there was a sense of urgency. His speech was full of pathos. I mean, it was, it was clear that there was a, a passion that he had for this message of unity that he wanted to convey to the American people. Yeah, I think I got unity as well. Um, again, I think, uh, I, I agree. I think President Biden was very authentic in his, his call, I think, in, in his charge. I think that he um, absolutely does see uh, his job as one is primary, primarily of service. And um, um, I don't really expect that to change too much throughout his administration. Um, I, I think the point about unity is, is, is all good and fine. And I think that's great. I think the, the question really for me was, well, where does President Biden uh, and his administration really see as the source of disunity? What, what is it? Um, because obviously we know you know, it's cliche now that we are a deeply divided nation. You know, some people go so far as to say we're, we're as divided or we're as close to as being divided as we were during the Civil War. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a cause of concern for a lot of people. I mean, we, we need to remember that President Trump also said in his inaugural address um, that he wanted to be a president for all Americans, not just those who had voted for him. This is obviously something that uh, our, our political leaders feel is, is a grave importance for us as a nation. Um, I, I, I picked up a couple things that, that President Biden sees as sources of, of disunity in our nation. Um, and I, I'd like to kind of talk about them. Uh, you know, the first one, not that surprising. I think one that almost all of us would sort of nod our head at, which is um, 
uh, racial injustice, systemic injustice um, is causing disunity in this nation. Obviously, that's no surprise that that would be said at the inaugural address after the summer that we just had um, in light of, of the death of George Floyd uh, and Breonna Taylor. And so I think that's one that's I think that's, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, those kind of things. And I, I think, you know, we've we've kind of said our piece about that. Um, uh, I think that another source of disunity that, that President Biden sees, uh, which I thought was interesting, was uh, he talked a lot about, uh, I think he calls it, he called it the consuming fire of politics, how politics has sort of become this outrage or this, this vehicle for our outrage. And it's where we're finding a lot of our passions whipped up and things like that. And what's interesting is that he, he said that the, the reason why that is, is because of fake news, that we don't have a unified... Um, idea of facts. Uh, we don't, we're not unified on what the truth is. And I think that's interesting because maybe I disagree with the president here. I don't know if that is really the source of our disunity. Um, I think that it is a symptom of, of the greater cause of disunity. I think people have turned to alternate facts, alternate sources of news um, because of uh, a, a deeper division which has gone on in our country, which I would sort of say is is an increasing uh, commitment to partisan politics. Um, I, I think I think you can trace it all the way back, um, really for the last you know twenty twenty four years or so. Um, you know I, you know we're in a we're in the current political climate right of the um, what you saw when with the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Um, and the uh, the commitment by then Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich to basically uh, oppose everything that um, the president that, that President Clinton would do, um, you know we're we're also in the time of you know President Obama passing uh, 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 the Affordable Care Act, one of the most significant pieces of legislation in, in modern American history, on a completely partisan line. Uh, we've had uh, multiple impeachments. We've had multiple um, contested elections now. Um, you know, there is a very, there's a very strong sense, I think, in the nation that if my political party doesn't win, I can't, I can't expect my other, the, the opposing party to, to rule fairly over me. And I, I think that that is in some cases, based on what I have seen happen in politics, justified. Um, and that to me really is the source of our disunity, not fake news. I mean, what do you think? Am I being, am I being unfair? That partisan politics has become heightened to an unprecedented level. Yeah. And it's, it's not because people are watching more MSNBC or Fox necessarily, but that our political leaders have committed to a more partisan agendas for the last 20, 24 years. Yes. I, I think that's absolutely true. I think that there are so many, well, maybe I should say like this. Uh, there were seemingly less areas of disagreement in the United States 75 years ago than there are today. And I think that comes about from a number of reasons. You have the Immigration Act that was passed in 1965 that has blown up the number of people who have come into this country since then. With that comes a pluralization of ethnicities that are here. And with that come a pluralization of, of religions that are here. You have this massive shift in the academy that happens um, post-World War II as well in different education they have. There are so many different ideologies and systems of thought and people from different places that um, 
I, I think that there's, there's a greater area of disagreement in, in places where people can come from opposing sides. And I think a lot of that has to do with this coupling with the individualism of America, this kind of therapeutic rise of the individual self. Um, and, and by that, I say these parties have seemed to, in that way, to not like splinter into different groups that, um, you know, the Republicans serve this demographic and the, and the Democrats serve this demographic. No, they've just, they've just gone further apart and lumped in um, wholly with uh, just radically different, different partisan agendas. Yeah. Does that I, make any sense at all? No, I think it does. I, I think, you know, I think your point about that, that the parties have basically moved in such a way as to secure enough people that are, I would say are kind of on the the far the far edges of their of their their parties or their base, and then basically the rest of the nation has been forced to sort of hold their nose and vote for the candidate that's most aligned to them. And um, in the end, what we end up getting is is uh, policies, uh, agendas, platforms that tend to represent s- smaller and smaller chunks of the nation as a whole. And so. Uh, I wonder, like, what what are the big things that can get passed uh, in, 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 during this kind of time? And you realize that the things that get passed are the, are the things um, that are done by an almost purely party basis. I mean, um, when was the last major piece of legislation that we had go through that that got significant bipartisan support? I'm not saying a handful uh, of of uh, uh, targeted Republicans here or targeted Democrats here. I'm talking about when was the last time we passed something that was, was massive? Well, the last thing we really passed that was huge was the Iraq war. I mean, we're talking about like long, long time here. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of questions like, why didn't we get an infrastructure bill um, during President Trump's uh, uh, administration? Why didn't we get um, another set of COVID relief? What is, what's going on here? And I, I think that um, if we're not willing to address how we ourselves are responsible for a lot of this by demanding purity from our politicians to certain ideological creeds or, or what have you. Um, uh, that, that's, that's also a problem of the voting base. Um, and instead we kind of say, oh, it's fake news. It's out there. It's the, it's the bots. It's the Russians. It's the whoever. Um, I think we're going to deflect the, the criticism where it needs to be. Uh, and we won't actually be able to address the, the unity question because the question really comes down to what kind of unity are we talking about? Are we talking about a unity amidst division, right? Where we are all Americans who disagree, you know, we may disagree on certain policy issues or certain uh, principles, but at the end of the day, we all come together on, on these core things, right? Or are we, are we going to be pursuing a unity that's essentially a unity by conquest where we say we are going to either turn, you're either going to be forced to change your mind about all these things and then we'll be unified um, or will sort of, you know, you're going to be sort of anathematized. I mean, that's, that's the question. What kind of unity are we talking about? And when, I, and I can't subscribe uh, opinions to uh, President Biden who spoke today. I think President Biden is a genuinely empathetic man who does have probably great relationships with, with folks um, across the aisle from him and probably doesn't uh, have any sort of sinister uh, 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 motives. But like when I, when I go on Twitter and I see afterwards, like, why are why are all these Republicans even allowed to attend the inaugural address? They should that none of them should even be here. You know, maybe some of them should be arrested. It's like okay, well, I have to now question like what kind of unity are we talking about? Right, and there again, it comes back from the the plain reading, and then going in a little depth to try to understand what exactly is being intended by the phrase 
unity. And uh, he meant, quoted St. Augustine, which probably made every seminarian, pastor, theologian thrilled, historian thrilled that that was referenced. And, and the reference, you know, is, was quintessential Augustine in that a, a people is defined by what it loves. And that the definition, uh, he took that and said, you know, the definition for America is going to be like the, the, the common loves that are held by America. Now, there are some that we can all agree on, like most all Americans. I love liberty. I love freedom of speech. Now, um, equality under the law. Those are all things that we can love. The problem is that I think within that are like almost an infinite number of subsets of subloves that are in there that people actually mean when they say liberty, freedom of speech, equality. And there are certain um, loves that are just kind of, and, and this is part of the reason it's so important for us as Christians to pay attention to God's word. Why? Because we, our hearts are an idol factory to quote Calvin. We are meant to love certain things and we, and we, we will love things. And when we read scripture, and we study God's word and we look at what, what it says we're able then to tune our hearts to sing his praise. We're able to have our hearts shaped and focused by the spirit in order to love the things that God loves and want the things that he wants ultimately. And then we learn from him from wisdom as he quoted Solomon, right? Uh, uh, Second Kings to, to know what is good and to do those things. But with all of these, this proliferation of loves, and again, this is, you know, you got Carl Truman on your bookshelf behind you. And I think of David F. Wells. Um, you can think of Charles Taylor's work uh, and the sources of the self. You know, we could list a lot more, a lot of other people. Um, the, the radical, the, the movie Soul that came out from Pixar recently, the, the message, uh, Ross Douth, that does this gene, brilliant um, editorial where he compares it to It's a Wonderful Life, uh, in, in the contrast, in contrast to It's a Wonderful Life, soul is actually about, you know, life is fleeting and short, so you might as well do what makes you happy while you're here. And that is, it's pretty much self-defined. Like, in some sense, that's okay. Like, we, we should be happy. However, life is also full of suffering, and it's really hard, and as Christians, we're going to suffer, and it's going to be really hard. Um, but that's, for most people, I think what makes life valuable and meaningful is, are we going to do what feels good? And when that is what people love, which I think for a lot of Americans is, you can't have a country that way when there's just this no genuine understanding of, of what's good and right and true. And, and I, I'll kick it back over to you with this. It is not uh, incidental that Klobuchar and Biden both referenced Lincoln. Hmm. They both see this moment as a pre-Civil War uh, type moment where things are as divided as they have ever been Maybe we've surpassed 1968. I don't know. But they are definitely, definitely very divided right now. And they sense that. And I think, I, I do think, and I hope that Biden wants for us to be unified. Yeah, I, I, I noticed the, the parallels between, that, that were being drawn between President Biden and uh, uh, President Lincoln. Uh, in, in many ways, I'm very thankful for that. I, I should say this, I, I guess in some ways I'm, uh, a little nervous about that because it does suggest that we're living in a time that that mirrors uh, the Civil War era, which makes me nervous uh, as a citizen in this country. Um, and at the same time, I, I, I'm glad that that's the person uh, that we want to imitate. And you know, they did quote uh, his second inaugural um, uh, with malice toward none, with charity for all. Um, I think we 
there's a lesson to learn about President Lincoln and the way that he saw, uh, though he didn't get to live and experience it, but um, the way that he envisioned Reconstruction uh, and what that meant. And that meant that did mean welcoming back uh, folks uh, into the country who um, uh, had rebelled against it um, and, and bringing them in. I mean, really a sense of um, that the, the Civil War had been fought to end slavery and that that, it was, that, that was over, that had been done, the, the, the Union had won in that, um, but that the Union was not really complete without these other people. Um, uh, they needed the Southern states to be part of the Union. That was the whole point. And, and I think that there's, it, there's a lesson of reconciliation there that we ought to remember um, when we uh, think about this moment, um, because um, a unity that, that says, uh, well, you, you must you know, change all of your views on either sexual identity or um, uh, things like this, uh, I think we're, Christians are going to have to be really careful about um, uh, and, and something that we should, we should keep our eyes open for. And I think this is a charge to Christians that we need to remember. There, was a, a, there were a lot of eyes on the Trump administration. And for good reason. I mean, we saw what happened on January 6th. We, um, maybe that's another discussion as we can do like maybe six months hence, we can maybe give a clear assessment of the Trump administration. We can go back and take a look. I am hopeful, but doubtful uh, that Christians will be paying as attention, attention and as much scrutiny to, from this administration than they were the past. I, I don't, I wish, I, I hope that happens. Cause I think that we'll, I mean, maybe better off if we, if we were equal in our, um, but hopefully there's not, a, hopefully not as many crises happen. My gosh, <laughs> just from the last year alone, hopefully there's not as much to scrutinize. That would be, that would be great. Um, you know, you, you had mentioned that uh, you'd reminded me and point this out. I have it in my notes here that Biden asked for a moment of silent prayer for all those who died during COVID. It was not a moment of silence, but it was a moment of prayer uh, that is that is unique, I think, and that is that is a special moment that did occur. I was encouraged by at the end that he made sure to emphasize that he did just take an oath. Uh, it it came across to me that he placed great emphasis on the fact that Dr. Joe Biden held the Bible and he put his hand on it and he swore an oath on that. There was something comforting in that. Um, for sure. Not no, that's totally true. Of, we're not making predictions here. We're just saying like, there was, a, there's something comforting in him ending his speech with, with the sacredness of that oath. Yes, for sure. And how about that Bible, huh, man, that it was a serious Bible. I saw somebody on Twitter. I got a huge kick out of it. They were like pretty, uh, pretty remarkable that our first, the, this is the first president to swear his oath on the extended Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I got a good kick out of that. Yeah, that was that was really cool. I agree. And then also, as I'll just say it, as as a Texan, um, uh, pretty awesome to see Garth Brooks up there singing "Amazing Grace." I thought that was cool. I thought he did great. I thought he did a wonderful job. Uh, I like that he invited everyone to sing the first verse again at the end. Um, I was impressed by the flow, uh, you know, of. Um, of Amanda Gorman. I, I was impressed by her ability to command language and to weave together a kind of a, it was, it was poetry and spoken word, kind of a, more poetry than spoken word, but there definitely was a little bit of spoken word in there. Poetry is difficult in that there's so many different ways to interpret it and meaning and nuance. That's part of the beauty of poetry, but there was, you know, 
Certainly people can offer criticisms of that based on what they thought that she meant. I think in terms of talent, it's, it's clear that she is a very talented poet and, and has a very remarkable gift um, to, to speak and to write poetry. So that was good. And then let's end on a down note. Uh, technically speaking, the benediction was not a benediction. Yes, thank you. You brought this to my attention, and uh, so you should uh, say it again. Well, I don't just mean like in a Christian sense it wasn't a benediction. I mean by the most basic definition, no matter what religion a person identifies with, that did not meet the most basic criteria of a benediction, which a great example of a benediction is the ironic blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. That is a simple, it is a, it is, you know, break it down. It's a good word. It is good speaking. It is a word from the preacher or the speaker to God's people or to the people. It is a, meant to be a blessing to them as what God is saying to them as they go. And it, it wasn't that at all. It wasn't even a doxology. It was neither of those things. And we've been talking about the importance of words this year. Maybe this theme will continue to go up, but I think that is really, really important because you know, if someone is supposed to give a sermon and they give a speech, you know, a sermon is meant to exalt the risen Christ and they don't do that. They're like, hey, that wasn't a sermon. I don't really know what that was. If someone is supposed to give a benediction, they end up giving you a charge. Like, that's not a benediction. That's actually not what we're supposed to be leaving with. It, it, it is important to get this right. And it just totally missed the mark of what a benediction was supposed to be. And maybe people don't care. I, I care about it as a seminarian, as a, you know, having graduated. I think that. Um, and, and also, I'll say this, experientially, there's something very different from a benediction and a charge, which is what he gave. You know, it was like, you had mentioned this, it was like, God, here's what we're going to do. But it wasn't just like, here's what we're going to do. It was like, go do, do, do. These are what like morally is essential that you must do if you're going to be fulfill America's like, whatever. That's different from saying, hey, God is he loves you. He wants to bless you. May you know that his face is shining. That's I leave a room very differently based on which of those two someone has given me. Absolutely. I, I left at, I kind of, when, the, when the benediction was over, it, the, the sentiment was very much like, I feel exhausted already. Like if I'm, if I'm to do all of those, like how, how much can I do? Um, you know, what, what can I do? Uh, is my, is my, is my portion significant? Um, I think that, uh, as good reformed folks, um, we need to be always mindful of is, is the message is the tone that we're sending to people. Okay. Now you go out and do, 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 or is it find rest and comfort in, in what God has already done? And, um, you know, that's a very, that's a sort of like theological, uh, conversation to have about this sort of political moment that has happened in America. But, uh, I do think it's it's significant. I, I think um, you kind of turned off your TV, going, "Okay, now it's my job to do all these things," and that may not be your calling. And so, which yeah, and and maybe to end this on a positive note, a positive reminder, as we think about all that people have gone through and experienced since really January of 2020. All the difficulties and trials, the pressures, the 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 commands from people to like have an opinion, to do certain things, to care for people, the pressures of being locked. There, I mean, we could go on and on listing things. There's a lot 
to be said, a lot of wisdom perhaps in encouraging our brothers and sisters to maybe just not do something for a week or two. Like maybe just sit and read the Proverbs a little bit. Like maybe just meditate on Jesus. Read the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. You know, read the upper room discourse. Read John 15 and Jesus saying, you know, abide in me and I will abide in you. He that abided in me bears much fruit. Like maybe just sit and think on that a little bit. And um, look, it's an inauguration. It wasn't a church service. So I totally get that. That's whatever. I just, as a benediction properly, I think that we would do well as we're just starting a new presidency today, January 20th, 2021, to rest and to just take some stock, get our bearing straight, take a deep breath, and then and then go out. But we just can't always be pressured so much to always have to act. I, I think that's a really good word, uh, Will. See what I did there? Um, I, I think that's great. I'm, I'm excited about uh, uh, what we saw today. I, I think that um, obviously our prayers are with uh, President uh, Joe Biden, with his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, his, his family, um, his administration, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris. We didn't even kind of miss that. I mean, she uh, uh, obviously, I think, it's, I think it's a wonderful thing uh, that we have our first female uh, vice president. Um, I think it's it's a wonderful uh, thing, uh, uh, and so obviously our prayers are with with them as they uh, go on to do the work uh, that they have been called to do. So, um, uh, like I said earlier, uh, Ministry of State has put out just a, some awesome, I think, content uh, in regards to this. If, if prayer guides, if you need um, help with some of the language that you would want to pray pray about, and um, what you can be praying for specifically, uh, you can find all that on our uh, website www.ministryofstate.org. Um, uh, Will, uh, great talking to you. I think you had some uh, wonderful points about the inauguration. I'm excited to talk more about the Biden administration as we go forward on this podcast. Uh, people can follow you at Stockdale Will. Um, I'm at R.D. Hassler. Um, and with that, we will see you guys again next week.